Replacement Navigator's Log, Stardate 42193.6. Officer Haskell here, finally getting the call while <sighs> acting Ensign Crusher is somehow unavailable. So I've been waiting for this, and here we go. Be present, be cheerful, be ready for anything. Gonna be a good day. All right, welcome to Re-Engage, your next generation podcast where a bunch of us, four to be exact, Gen X slackers, talk about one of our favorite shows that helped drive our own childhoods, the next generation, the second version of a Star Trek TV series. We had the series, we had the movies, then we had this second chance to go, and we sat down and watched every week. I'm here with my cultural bridge officers, We'll guide you through everything that was going on towards the end of 1988, both on the show and in the world. We'll start out with Mr. Greg Tito. What was happening around uh, here in November 1988, sir? Man, so much awesome stuff. Uh, do you want me to get into the news right now or do you want me to just hey, say Hey, I think that we can start kind of right ahead. Are you doing well with your life? Yes, uh, especially <laughs> and even in 1988. I might have been attending uh, fifth grade, fourth grade. I don't know. Um, we don't do math very well here on the old podcast. But I remember being super pissed when Jose Canseco won the unanimous AL MVP in 1988. Second place was Mike Greenwell from the uh, uh, from the Red Sox. And uh, this was announced on November 16th. So just a couple of days before this episode aired. And man, it's rough times, man. Rough times. It's rough times. What about you, Kate and Jimmy? Do you have uh, baseball memories resolving around this Jose Canseco <laughs> fiasco? Kate, what do you think? I don't know. <laughs> That's kind of where I am. This is just pre-Bo Jackson and uh, post-George Brett's best years, so I didn't give much of a shit about the MVP at this point. What about you, Jimmy? Uh, me either, my friend. This was my sophomore year of high school. Uh, most uh, memorable time for me was going to Laurent Demar's uh, Spain for spring break, where I got my first tattoo. Holy moly, you got your first tattoo while I was in elementary school. Yeah, I got out of you, my friend. Upside down peace sign because it cost 150 pesos, and that left me enough to get drunk for the last night of spring break. It was the cheapest tattoo I could get. What does an upside down peace sign mean? Is it just that when you look at it, it looks right side up, so it brings you peace? I wish that were the case, but no, it was uh, purposeful. We had this little thing amongst our my friends in high school called artificial peace because we believe that there's no such thing as peace. It can't happen. So we would draw the upside down peace sign and I got the tattoo and I said this out loud because I don't want to be an old man and not have uh, any regrets. Little did I know that wasn't going to be a problem. <laughs> no, you you have a nice long line of regrets that stretches off <laughs> way down the block. Even before I said that. So that's how dumb I am. Well, I mean, we'll get into how dumb you are in, in just a little bit. Uh, Greg, what, what else was going on in the old uh, world of good old November 1988? Uh, not too much in, in the world over the, the week. But the one thing that uh, caught my eye was that uh, President Reagan, uh, who was a lame duck president at this time, because George H.W. Uh, Bush was about to uh, Herbert. take over. Um 
Uh, and Nancy Reagan uh, had an official state arrival ceremony for Margaret Thatcher, who was Prime Minister uh, of Britain at the time. It was like Boo! Time, so it was an access of evil before such a uh, a term was coined uh looking back i remember being very happy about this for some reason as a kid and now i'm realizing it was because my parents were probably conservatives and i didn't know it at the time yeah i'm finding out that my grandparents were much more conservative than i had known i didn't know uh, my at dad all. let a little bit of that slip before and the other bit of interesting news about the jose canseco uh and the mvp despite me being pissed about it is now contested by mike greenwell because jose canseco admitted to taking Juiced. steroids during 1988 uh, in his book that was uh, uh talked about huge right he was a juicer as jimmy is saying um and I believe it's true. I think Mike Greenwell should get uh, the MVP. He did a fan, fantastic season. Bat, had a higher bat, much higher batting average. Didn't hit as many home runs as Jose. But he also said, I did not take any steroids. So there should at least be an asterisk there. He can say whatever he wants. I do not remember his name. Most valuable <laughs> players go to famous people. End of story. It's canon. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's very famous in and around player. Boston, and I'm sure to greater baseball heads than I, but I did not remember his name when you brought it up. And I'm our number one say. listener, you asshole. Yep. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> uh, I apologize. I think you deserve, I don't know, is it a trophy? What do they give the MVP? <laughs> I think a high five. A high, like, big high five. That's a, that's a baseball, that's a baseball uh, gesture, the old high five, invented on a baseball diamond. Um, Very so true. I like that. Good work. What else, what else was going on? That's all actually all I had as far as uh, current events for this week. It was a big, big sparse week as far as big week. No uh, news of the of the, of the day. All right. All right. Well, that's no big deal at all. What Kate, the more important stuff, yeah. wouldn't you say, is the pop culture happenings, what we were listening to, reading, watching, hating. Tell me what was happening there at the end of November. I couldn't agree with you more, Eric. Uh, so yeah, we're uh, November twenty eighth, nineteen eighty eight is our is our date. Uh, the number one song was Will to Power's song "Baby I Love Your Way" slash Freebird Medley. Ooh, Shit, baby, yes. I love your way every day. Won't Wanna tell time? you I love your way every day. <laughs> Wanna be with you night and day, and then it goes into. If I leave here tomorrow, fucking Freebird medley. Why wouldn't you? Seventies power it. rock ballads in together. the late '80s. I definitely, I definitely remember rocking out to that song, and I had forgotten that the full version of it was with the Freebird medley, which sort of changes everything and makes it just like. <laughs> Two great tastes that taste great together, I guess. Mm. And nine minutes long. And nine minutes long, yes. Uh, the number one movie, y'all, is one of my favorite movies of all time. We watch this every single year uh, in my household, and that is Scrooged. Um, oh. I fucking live for that movie. I love that movie. One of my favorite uh, movie experiences ever. We, we were in, I, I can tell you where I was when I saw the movie. It was in Arizona over Thanksgiving. 
visiting my aunt and uncle and we saw it opening night and there in the at the end he does the sing along he like breaks the fourth wall and is like you oh, the yeah. one who was talking all the time and you the left side of the room and the, the entire auditorium sang oh, everyone sang full out just i mean it was just one of those experiences that I'll never forget, but I fucking love that movie, y'all. Carol Kane. I mean, the whole cast is like unfucking Buster Keaton. What? I forget his what? acting name. Dexter Poindexter. Buster Poindexter. Buster Poindexter. Buster Poindexter. The fantastic lead singer of the New York Dolls, yeah. proto-punk New York royalty. Buster Poindexter and a fantastic actor from that all the way into Free Jack and further David Johansson, ladies and gentlemen. In literature news, the number one book was The Sands of Time by Mm. Sidney Shelton, Mm -hmm. which is an adventure romance about four Mm -hmm. nuns who become pawns in a struggle between the Spanish army and Basque separatists. What? What? I tell you. Lots of sex. Lots of nun sex. You gotta love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, on Isn't that TV, <laughs> should have been over nonsense. on TV. Uh, NBC won the rights to broadcast the 1992 Summer Olympics by bidding Huge. over 101 million dollars. Mm. Was that one in Atlanta? The bomb? Uh, no, that was uh, in uh, Barcelona. 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 I should have known that because when I was in Loret de Mar, Spain, you could take trips to Barcelona to see the uh, the Olympic Village and everything they were building. Oh, nice. I didn't uh, go. <laughs> I went on a drinking tour of a monastery <laughs> that had free liquor. When uh, I was in sixth grade. I just, I love it. I was in 10th grade. <laughs> I'm just saying. Let's be clear. <laughs> Of legal (laughs) German drinking age. Right. It was totally legal. Uh, And I have a new um, segment for us, which is birthdays that'll make you feel old. Birthdays that'll make you feel old. That week uh, was born both uh, Zoe Kravitz and Russell Wilson. So what have you done with your life? There you go. You're welcome. Russell. (laughs) Did you see the picture of the kids in the hall? No. Yeah. <laughs> but I saw the friends get together. They're getting together to shoot some episodes, which, which is great Which news. is amazing. I'm very excited about them. But they had a cast photo of all of them, and oh my God. They are, you know, popes. So old. They're popes, all of them. I did happen Don't to see, be. though, that uh, uh, this is in your category, though, uh, Kate, but that Rumors by Neil Simon debuted on Broadway this what? week. What? It did? Yeah, it I did. looked. I love that play. That's fantastic. One of my favorites. uh, I think we did it in high school, actually, when I was a freshman in high school. I was the set builder. I built the the big two-story set. uh, Oh, yeah, the box set. Idolized the seniors uh, doing that play. A lot of of falling down in that one. It is a play after my own heart. Slamming doors. Absolutely. So we're talking about the great episode, the second of the second season, Where Silence Has Lease. Oh, what a science fiction title. That is right out of my personal favorite intersection of genres, sci-fi and horror. And that's what we got in this one. It's a, a nice Twilight zone feel. It's, it's got the feel of some of my favorite of the Moffat Doctor Who episodes. Um, it's it's a nice, a nice uh, attempt at marrying the uh, kind of middle grade uh, 
factors that they've been playing with and the budget and trying to get a, a nice squeeze of horror out of it. What, what do you think about this, Jimmy? I know you're you're a fan of both of these genres. Do you like it when they mix? Uh, I love it. I thought uh, it was fun. I'm excited to talk about it. The only thing I'd say, like, disappointing-wise, is that it came right after episode one, uh, not just because of the second one, because of the content was just far too similar to the totally. first one. So, like, you know, maybe episode seven would have been <laughs> a little bit better, you know, not so fresh. But, yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I had several notes while I was watching where it's like, this is very sci-fi. Love it. Very sci-fi. Absolutely. I knew that would be going through your head. Uh, similar stuff as to what was happening with me. But before we get into the, the plot of the episode, uh, do we have anything on uh, how it came about, the writing process, any yeah, of that stuff? I have a couple of fun things. I'll, I'll save a couple for uh, in-show as we talk about it. But, um, you know, the title itself, uh, it comes from a fun spot. It's actually from a 1907 poem by Robert Service, The Spell of the Yukon. Uh, the poem uh, is Ooh. pretty good. I read through the whole thing. It's all from uh, the point of view of somebody who's gone to uh, the Yukon in the gold rush. All of the hardships that you go through while you're there uh, goes out of his way to make it very evident that is a hard painful existence but at the same time how he yearns to get back uh and the very last stanza is it's the great big broad land way up yonder it's the forest where the silence has lease it's the beauty that thrills me with wonder it's the stillness that fills me with peace so uh i don't know if the right how the writers glommed onto it but that's uh where they got their title from uh, and I think maybe the f most fun little bit of uh, trivia for the show is in 2020, Patrick Stewart was on Jimmy Kimmel Live and he presented none other uh, than I believe our transportation secretary, Mr. Pete Buttigieg, with uh, a signed copy of this script um, with all of his notes that he had taken while he was working on the show. Oh, that's wow. super cool. I hadn't uh, heard about that. Yeah, so really fun. I don't know if it was because Pete had mentioned something about love in the show and that's just what he had or if that episode played into Pete's uh, um, personal history uh, or not. Uh, and then there's some other fun stuff, but uh, I think if we stumble upon it within the episode, it'll be a little more fun to tie it in directly to uh, certain scenes. So, Eric... Take it away. <laughs> well, I want to talk just briefly about our guest stars. You know, that's usually my bailiwick, but there isn't much to talk about here. Uh, we do, of course, have uh, Earl bon uh, Bone, right, who plays uh, Nagilam, uh, who is one of the more strange and exotic uh, villains, I guess you'd say, in the Star Trek universe. He's a bit more like uh, the god-level uh, heroes and villains in comic books and sci-fi where talking good or bad about them is a little uh, difficult because they don't see the universe in those terms. But this one is so um, mischievous that it does have a little bit of uh, villain feeling to them. What did you What did you think in particular, before we get into the episode itself, but about uh, Nagilam as a, as a character? I, I love uh, the- Greg, what do you think? The vocal treatment they do to his voice. I don't know how much of it is his performance versus what they do to it. It feels like there's some- modulation that happens and it feels very unsettling very much like the uh, appearance of the 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 face it has that uncanny valley type feeling where it sounds like a human voice but is off 
somehow. Definitely. It really is unsettling, like the rest of this whole episode tries to uh, put forth that, ep- that, that feeling of, of weirdness. And I think th- the performance um, by, uh, what was the name of the actor again? Earl Bone. Earl Bone uh, kind of contributes to it uh, because it, it is, he, he reacts to things differently than the rest of us do. And the one time where it's the most human like response is near the end where they're comparing these two uh, existences. And I think that's a really good way to kind of feel like, oh, okay, there is some common ground between them and it's done through the way he kind of chuckles uh, at the end. So uh, agree. Strong and, vocal performance here. And and his performances kind of all through his career have had a piece of that humor in kind of everything he does. It, the, his big on-screen thing that everybody knows him from is he's the psychiatrist in the Terminator movies. The oh. one who is always kind of... Uh, um, condescending to Sarah Connor and often gets in the way <laughs> of uh, escape or break-in attempts at, at the at the Institute. Uh, so he, he kind of always has in his career, at least since the 70s, had this, uh, you know, genre uh, cred that, that he pulls out. And in particular, his vo- voice work is unbelievable. If you go on his IMDb, there's almost 300 credits and so much of it is video game voice work, which makes complete sense when you watch this. What do you think, Kate? What do you what do you feel about uh, Nagilam as we go on? Uh, you mean Baby Q? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> definitely the conversation at the very end. Yeah. I was like, okay, <laughs> heard this conversation uh, uh, before, uh, which is not not the actor's fault. Um, yeah, and and also just I kept thinking um, like sea mud mask. Like, yeah. like on, on the, on the creature. Um, but what an asshole. Like I get I, <laughs> I, like a total, like b- very plays with them. Like very mm-hmm. much, you know, the, the repeated sort of opening of the clouds. Oh, there's the star field. Oh, fuck you. No, there it is again. Oh no. Fuck you. Um, is just, it's pretty intense. As, as a Shakespeare geek, I always go back to that line as flies to wanton boys. Are we to the gods? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, this is one of those that's about how the gods don't care about you. And they're literally just there to pull your wings off and see what happens. And uh, that's kind of what this particular episode is all about. What do you think, Jimmy? Uh, well, I, I guess I'll start with, since we're talking about Nagilam, uh, just mm-hmm. open that up about the name itself. Uh, it. They were this reaching one of my out. Favorite stories. Yeah, they were reaching out to Richard Mulligan. To play the role, or they had they had wanted Richard Mulligan for the role. That didn't work out, so uh, they just took away one of the L's in his last name, Mulligan, uh, and reversed it, and that's how they came up with uh, Nigilum for the bad guy's name. Uh, as for the bad guy himself, and and you can tap this, uh, Eric, better. Oh yeah, his two credits that I know of are um, Soap and Empty Nest. I'm sure he has a. Yeah. Before you get into that, I'll just quickly say the one note that I have about this bad guy. Uh, I just wrote this alien is a fail. Looks like a Pokemon prototype. <laughs> just the face <laughs> they use. Uh, and I like this voice. I just, the, mm-hmm. like, they didn't need to have the face like captured. It, none of that worked for me. It, it totally took away the scariness that I thought could have been even more. Um, and, and I want to get back to this later because when you guys are talking, something came up. But uh, it, it, the bad it, the bad guy itself didn't work for me simply because of the way they presented it. It had nothing to do with the voiceover or the way the actor uh, handled the text. All that was was really good. 
Oh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and, you know, it, it really seems like they're using the same thing they did when they got um, uh, the Ferengi, what's his name, to do the, fa- the face in the box. Like, it's mm. the same thing, uh, only they've made him Q. So, like, uh, it would have been more interesting if he'd been a body jumper, but we've done that too. So, like, um, it, re- it really is kind of a villain that's been done before. And when you add in how it's not scary to put them in that mud mask that Kate was talking about, I agree. I, I think it's not one of the, the best uh, villains there. Uh, but... Richard Mulligan, we do have to talk about a little bit since, you know, any example, uh, any, any chance we get to uh, talk about such a fantastic co- comedic character actor. Like, I would have loved to have seen him in this. It would have been very strange because so much of his career is physical comedy and we only got his face. But um, do you all remember Soap? Do you all remember oh. Empty Nest? What is, what is yes. Empty Nest? Sorry, what, what, was, what were your thoughts about Richard Mulligan in particular? Kate, what do you think? Oh, well, just Soap was one of my fan, like favorite shows growing up, and I rewatched it in high school, and they were re-showing it, and I was at school during most of the time, so my mom would watch it for me and write down everything that happened in the episode so that I could keep up with what was happening. I um, thought you were going to say VHS, but that is so much better. No, it's so much better. It's so yeah. much better. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm. it would be... I think it would be similar to last week's where it would be the entire time I would be watching going, but that's Richard Mulligan, right? <laughs> Which like would be fantastic. But um, yeah. although could you tell with the with the mud mask? Who knows? No, not at all. I, I think you all should go back and check out um, in particular Little Big Man. If you haven't seen it, he plays uh, Custer in that and he's just ridiculous stupid stupid fun uh so go go check out whatever you can find and uh you know say hi to richard mulligan any chance to talk about uh this weird actor i'll take it so what happens on the at the beginning of the episode right the uss enterprise is going into the morgana quadrant we already know we're getting into some magic shit when we deal with that as the name (laughs) and uh we're having a I don't know. Uh, it's something that we're worried about Riker and Worf in the, the calisthenics hol- holodeck program. Uh, they're a little worried about how it's going to go with the two of them. Uh, do y'all buy this? Uh, you know, are the safety protocols off? Is there something to be worried about here? Or is this just something to get us into the teaser? First of all, OSHA should be called for sure. Like <laughs> re- anytime there's real uh, weapons uh, involved, uh, and you're fighting arguably Skeletor, like there should definitely be people uh, that uh, are aware of what's happening. I just find this whole episode starts so strangely, though, because there's no it starts in silence. There's mm-hmm. no there's no voiceover. There's no star date. Um, we don't find out about Worf and Riker for at least a minute or a minute and a half. Like everything that we see is Picard pacing. Mm hmm. Entering, exiting, entering, and then Troy noting, you seem stressed, which we are all like, yes. Uh, We get a bunch more of these Orson Welles tracking shots that that show the the other officers in uh, out of focus with Jean-Luc still in focus. Very, very uh, stern. Yeah, and that's uh, a it's a good. It's a good note that you bring that up, and it's actually another fun fact is the oh, director yeah. – because this is a bottle episode. Uh-huh. So they are um, really entirely on the set. Even when they exit the set, 
it's to go to the other place, it's still the set <laughs> because right, they right. just redress it and pretend it's, it's the somewhere same else. Class of Star so uh, the director um, was a little put off. Like he, he, he felt he really needed to choreograph everything. Whereas he usually just lets the actors kind of go and find their spot and the camera finds them because it's at a long shot. This one, Every single movement was choreographed by the director so that the camera could constantly be moving to try to bring some interest he felt to otherwise what was really just being on the bridge and a few other places. And, you know, so that's how we get that wonderful moment. Like the first thing I noted was worried entry of a card. Like he comes Uh in and then he has that odd moment where he doesn't know like should i come in here or should i should i go back in and sit down in my ready room and and then from there on it's just it's total like you said tracking and moving and you know there's one later on where it starts with Riker's hand tapping his side and pans up his whole body uh and again this is just like ways of how do we make this same area interesting for uh for this hour well, yeah, and that's right. the the big problem that you have in a space show that you don't have in something like Wagon Train that it's based on. Because in Wagon Train, you have these glorious vistas and animals right. going yeah. by. And in, in space, at least at this point, uh, they're not showing the like Tin Man uh, herds of space fish <laughs> right. kind of flying by that we'll catch later in the in the series. So, I, I mean, I... I sympathize with what's going on. What What did you think of all the camera work and kind of silence at the beginning, Greg? I, I loved it. I, I noted the same thing, Picard's performance in the beginning where he's like, you know, very nervous. It reminded me of uh, uh, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, that meme of him like kind of looking around like, what do I do? <laughs> he didn't know what to do with himself. And you don't see the captain in that position very often. Uh, I almost don't like that Troy says it. Like, I almost wish they had just kind of talked about it instead of being like, you're nervous. Let me speak your emotions. Um, totally. But it is very cool. And I when they'll say the whole battle that Riker and, and Worf get into is creepy. And I remember being yeah. a kid and being freaked the fuck out by that skull monster thing. It's such cheesy mask on dude uh makeup but it works and it was executed very well especially for that time i felt my hackles rise just as wharfs and rikers were raised in that whole thing i think it does the effective thing for this episode even though because this scene doesn't really have anything to do and i think it's notable teaser here where it's you know doesn't have anything to do with what's coming except for this emotion and i thought that was a really kind of interesting way to do it well, I, you know, as as someone who has uh, mental issues around PTSD and, and things like that, I, I, I can't watch horror the way I used to be able to. Mm-hmm. So what I need now is either to read all spoilers so I know what's coming or I need to um, see something like this, which is pretty much PG-13. I, I guarantee that I can put the reality of it out of my head and feel the fear I'm supposed to feel at this very not scary Skeletor knockoff as Jimmy talks. Uh, but the the work is done so well and the acting is done so well. And the music in particular in yeah. this episode uh, uh, is done by the, the series composer, Ron Jones, who we haven't talked about much, but it, I mean, it's important to note how successful he is and was as a, as a composer all the way through. He did uh, stuff for the series definitely, but then, 
you know, in addition to that, he's uh, the composer of, uh, you know, DuckTales, American Dad, Family Guy. You know, he did wow. the theme song for the Fairly Odd Parents. Like, he's been around, uh, you know, quite a bit. Uh, and the work that he did in this one in particular is, is truly uh, uh, kind of the MVP in the episode, I think. Absolutely. Ramps up, the, ramps up that feeling of tension throughout. Yeah, the, the music did a great job of ramping up uh, that tension uh, throughout all of this, especially with, yeah, like you said, with the fight with Riker. And then you, what, like, so that line that Riker, that Worf gives of like, usually my calisthenics are more intense to be shared with, with other people. You're like, <laughs> what is going on on those, on those holodecks? Worf? There's so much wrong with the Enterprise's holodecks. Like, yeah. almost everything they show with a holodeck is one of those things you look back, you can't do that anymore. You can't <laughs> does, do that. Does the computer clean itself or does right. somebody have to go in there and Who like with sanitizing? a squeegee? It's like an <laughs> oven. You got to turn it up to the self-clean. Yeah. It's dangerous and disgusting, the holodecks. Yeah, the smell. <laughs> it's not the a right would room. never stand for it. Yeah. So they get done with their calisthenics. Riker is shaken to the very depth of his soul He's looked into the abyss and seen his own face looking back at him. Uh, so they go into the bridge. Oh, and oh, Data. Oh, Eric, I'm oh, sorry. Ahead. I have to yeah. step on you here. Please. We got to talk about this fight. I mean, we kind of do. I think I it's mean, great. When I was watching this. I was thinking of you and I was like, does Eric like this? Because I was like, this is terrible. I do. I this do. is like I love third it. grade yes. white what? stuff. Like it is. Yes. It's absolutely horrible. My daughters could do better yes. than that. It was but, bad. But it's connected to what I was saying earlier on where this episode more than anything else hit me where I'm going, this is a mid-grade kid show. Uh, that's why we loved it so much. That's why, you know, I, I think it's connected to the budget. They didn't, they just didn't have the budget to make everything look realistic and they were realistic enough with themselves to know that. So I think in addition to making the monsters not scary, which they knew, no, no Star Trek monster got scary until later in this series, right? I was scared Except by for, Skeletor. I was the, I'm the young kid. Sorry. You were scared of Skeletor? Yeah, I really was. Why not? But I mean, I, I think it's so good because of how quickly they clearly did it, how well the actors deal with boring uh, choreography. And um, I am now all in with this being basically a kid show. Uh, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fully prepared to argue with you about it, Jimmy. Good for like, you. Oh, like, like the A-team or Dukes of Hazard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, it's, like it's, that's it's, kind of what this was at yeah. this point. I mean, the whole I think time like was... Harry Potter, it kind of aged with us, but go mm. ahead. Right. And I was uh, just the way it was set up. I was like, well, the one they can say is they're safe. Cause I can yes. totally see them <laughs> look, holding the fist up and waiting for the other one to acknowledge and then swinging. Like all the stuff you learn about the safety of stage combat. Yeah. I saw it. I will tell you, Jimmy, I don't think, I, I think really from about the early sixties to the late nineties, that was most fights in most TV and films. No, you're so right. Some of them yeah, had better uh, editors. And then around the Bourne movies and, and things like that, mainstream Hollywood adopted kind of the uh, uh, Hong Kong uh, approach, which made the fights look better, made the uh, the editors be less in control it's of what was happening. Robert McDougall was there the I whole think time. At this point, they all suck. <laughs> 
Buffy really changed it for TV. Uh, but again, in the first couple seasons, that's the editors. Um, I'm talking so much. All right, so we go into the... Uh, Kate, what did you think about the fight? Back me up. Oh, here. it was a fight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to talk about. Uh, yeah, it was. It did what it needed to do. Yeah, agree. I just noted how hot and sweaty they were, and uh, <laughs> and I think it's a it's a testament to this that we don't know that they're on the the you know holodeck until the very end. And That's true. You know, they they've played that very well. Like so, I think there is a increased tension because it's unclear yeah. whether it's a mission. Yeah. Those first few seconds of it are awesome. When they first cut into that scene and they're jumping down off of the platform, I wrote down, ooh, Worf and Riker already in the shit. This is fun. <laughs> yeah. Like it was like, I thought they were, yeah, I forgot that this was assimilation in the whole calisthenics thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, oh, this is great that they're not even giving us any uh, backstory. We're just in it. Oh, going. Yeah. You know uh, me, I want that and yeah. I want the fight short. So I yeah. agree, Jimmy, fight was too long. But other than that, I liked it. Yeah. And I like Worf's hair. It made me wonder, does he have product? Because it was so <laughs> froed out from the sweat. But usually it's very nice and slick back. So uh, there must be some Klingon product out there that I'd love to see the marketing for. It's also possible that Klingon hair follicles are um, opposable. And he can uh, wave his hair uh, independently whenever he wants to. And we just don't see that. Um, so they go to the bridge, right? They show up and Data says, hey, there's a hole in space. There's nothing there. And everybody goes, hey, there's never anything in space. That's what space is. And he's like, no, I mean, there's really nothing there. And they go back and forth with that for like a while until Leslie goes, well, I mean, wouldn't we see stars behind it or whatever's behind it if, if it was a hole? Like maybe. And then they all look at each other and again, Wesley has so smart. The day, Kate. He's so smart. He's a, he's a good kid. They save the day so much they get save him the, the fuck off this bridge. <laughs> I I like the data has a great line um, because they keep pestering him and he keeps saying, I do not know. I do not know over and over again. And finally right. he says, the beginning of wisdom is I do not know, which I just think is a great line. Uh, and to Socrates, right? Like yes, yeah, Socrates. Uh that guy. Uh, look, you know how much I love uh, me some Wesley Crusher, but I, I question him. I question him during Ooh. this episode because he's the one that keeps going, but what if we got closer? <laughs> and it's like, really? Really? Have you not been on this ship? Have you yeah. not witnessed everything that's had? Do you not remember last week when Troy had a baby and that happened and that was all weird and <laughs> fucked up shit? Do you want to get closer to everything that you see? I, you know, I, I, I've, I will say that their their replacement of him with a man wearing a, a red shirt at that particular station uh, was the clearest example I have seen yet of the red shirt uh, prophecy, like. They needed to make sure that kid was off the bridge because someone's going to die, and we have to introduce a new character so we can make that happen. And they so, gave uh, him some welcome to lines. the bridge. They gave um, the replacement some annoying lines, being like, "Captain, are you sure? Are you sure right. you don't want to do?" But anything? we can get out of here. We can get out of here right now. Yeah, yeah, we can abandon our friends and just leave. I might live <laughs> and actually get a recurring role. <laughs> well, Charles Douglas, who played Haskell, the uh, replacement guy. 
was in Cop Rock not too long after yes. this. So don't worry about him. He did just fine. <laughs> he did great. I I question I question yes. the validity <laughs> of <laughs> character actions in this in this episode. The whole episode. Go the ahead. The whole episode. Hey. Well, no, it's just like everybody acts very outside of what we know of them. Yeah. Uh, like, it, it, we'll get there, but including the sort of climax of this where I'm like, slow your roll. <laughs> You're going to do what with the ship? You could uh-huh. save half the people, but fuck it. Okay, we'll talk about that later. Um, but it's just, they they're just... Pushing to get closer, push, you know, just it's all the things that get you in danger. Without it, we have no episode. I get it. Right, right. Uh, but it still reads as an episode that um, I find myself questioning. Did you read the backstory of this character? Very much so. It, it does feel like we don't need it to be the crew of the Enterprise. We could have any bottle episode with any crew of any starship. Uh, what do you think, Jimmy, here? What would you do if you found a hole in space? Just go, like, stick your finger in it or what? <laughs> no. So if I, hear something, doing. I hear something that downstairs. I'm like, I hope Bill is okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's ridiculous that you would uh, just run headlong into the unknown. Uh, when well, they know it's a hole. Your backstory is there. What what I find amazing is that um, you know they're looking out into the uh, a canvas of stars and blackness, and Picard goes, "Oh, there it is." Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> to which Wesley says, "I can't see anything." Yeah. And immediately I googled the scene from A Princess Bride where he talks about ice <laughs> IOD encounters. Like, what you don't smell is. <laughs> Like it's, you know, section two a five, and why are there sections to a place like once they get into the nothing, it can't be measured. It has no, and yet there's sectors that they can easily identify. It's in sector two a five. It's in sector four seven nine. Yeah, that was the confusion. Was it the sector of the view screen or a sector? Maybe that is like separated, like a paint by numbers thing. (laughs) Yeah, right. But, but they they should should that on, like, on, on a stage, I need numbers on the front to know where the fuck I'm supposed to stand. There's no numbers on this screen. He's very good at being able to free eye right. where section 285 is. Right. And the computer can't do that. Like, Mm-mm. there's a lot of pixels up there, but like, nope. fascinating. What would have happened if it had been just another light year away and, and Picard wouldn't have been able to see it? What do you think, Kate? What, what's with, <laughs> what do you think about the whole? I was just going to say yet another thing that that troubles me (laughs) is that they're just like, bring Pulaski up and see what she can do with it. And she even says like, well, I'm not an officer, like, or like, I'm not a, a, a bridge, bridge officer. officer. Right, yeah. So, uh, but what if we and then, like, right. just manages to like, listen, lady, we didn't fire the other one. So you could sit around and eat off of the buffet <laughs> table. You're going to get up on set and do something. I thought they Would brought you... her up to the bridge to like slander data and his identity again. Right. Yeah. Yet again, she calls him an it, but she does apologize multiple times. She doesn't love it, but she knows she has to. Accept I got on it. the edge. I was, I, I was edging back to, oh, <laughs> yeah. she's just not likable. Uh, she's, yeah. like, oh, she's not. A, maybe I was right when I was younger, but 
wasn't all the way there, but it was a little bit much with the it. Especially after the conversation from last yes, episode, right. it feels like you're just hammering the same point home and you're just being a dick at this point. Like you didn't right. grow from last episode. That. Even her sorry is like a very like mm, yeah. douchey guy who's like, oh, I'm sorry I upset you, young lady, with my misogyny. <laughs> right. Yeah. Does well, this I thing mean, know how to push the buttons? Like the that's the important thing is saying. the teenager said, let's get closer. They got closer. They got <laughs> enveloped. And everyone's right. super chill about it. Yeah, like totally. So chill. <laughs> now we're inside, they say, looking at each other. Like I I was on a kayak a couple weeks ago with like two manatees swimming under me. And these <laughs> things do not attack anything. And I've never been scareder in my life because they're two, you know, 2,000 pounds, six inches from me. And what are you going to do? I don't know what I would do in space. I think I'd scream constantly. And this thing envelops the whole thing. And they're all like, oh, that's interesting. Let's drop uh, a probe. Let's just probe it out. Yeah. He's funny, but the guy screams all the time. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> just Every little bump, he's screaming. Yes. I think it's intriguing that they, uh, they they get sucked in suddenly and they know like wait what right and then they're so surprised when they can't get out easily yeah like the it flummoxes them and I'm like have you not been paying attention to your last twenty minutes right of what you are living through I want to know the guy who's creating these probes who's prepping these probes do they have <laughs> like are they loaded up with like a whole bunch of probes ready to go mm-hmm. yeah the probe tube. Like, this like, is like a, a lower torpedoes? decks episode I need to see. Or was it like a lower decks thing where someone's like, oh shit, they keep asking for a lot of probes. Usually we don't get any probe requests for like weeks. And now there's like three in one episode. What the fuck? On a Tuesday? <laughs> With two probes? <laughs> a two probe Tuesday. This is on the books. <laughs> I like everything you're doing. I'm going to let you keep going. Let's talk more <laughs> about the probes. I do, uh, I do like that, 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 that audio, though, of when they do drop the stationary probe, which is Wesley's idea, uh, yeah. I think, right? He's like, we can drop this probe, and then we'll know, and we can track how far they're going, because once they try to get out, they realize they don't have, they're traveling according to their computers, but they're not actually going anywhere. So this probe is going to be able to test it out. And that video audio cue of like being like, the ping, ping, ping and it getting quieter mm-hmm. and then it getting louder again is so great and it makes you remember that like this is hunt for red october like this right. is submarine <laughs> combat that's going on in space and star if trek doesn't usually go that way right like you get some of it in star uh, star trek 2 wrath of khan uh with that like not knowing how to detect enemies but that's not something that the show really plays with very often i'm so glad that they they at least did it for this section Totally. And, and then it turns out to be a, a non-real, uh, uh, you know, you get some uh, red herrings of the non-real uh, Romulans. And then uh, suddenly we are confronted with another uh, USS uh, Class D starship, right? Uh, Yamato. Yamato, yeah. Yeah, the same. Our sister it's, ship? It's like looking into a mirror. So uh, let's go over there. Let's just beam over there. I'm sure it won't move like everything else has. Go Before ahead, we go over there, Jordy says, like the rat said, keep the cheese. I just want out of the trap. And I want to know, is that a famous saying? <laughs> In the 23rd century? <laughs> is that like 
Because the way he says it, it's like, everybody knows. And they all say it together and they sing the cheese rat song. Yeah. That's possibly the most most thrilling, suspenseful thing out of this whole episode. Because it's like, you know, Berenstain Bears. What? (laughs) Has it been different this whole time? Uh, So, while we're pausing, the Yamato, actually class E. Oh, um, and Holy what's shit. pretty cool about that is that the uh, the artists Rick Steinberg and Michael Okuda were both anime fans, uh, and throughout the second season, they drop a whole bunch of little subtle hints and stuff to their um, uh, anime fandom. And this is the first one. So the Yamada is actually from uh, a Japanese anime show. Uh, that got ported over to America and was one of my favorite shows when I was a kid, and that's uh, Star Blazers. Um, and they had a great opening, All-Star Blazers, <laughs> fighting with the Gamelon, we'll never give up hope until we survive. It was a great, and he's like, they had this giant ship that looked like a submarine, and the captain actually wore like an old captain thing, and like sort of had a crooked mouth like Popeye and an old <laughs> captain's hat. Uh, but um, the, the ship was called the Yamato. Um, and it was also happened to be uh, the fiercest battleship, uh, Japanese battleship uh, of World War II. So oh, a little nod. The, uh, Nemesek thinks it's more probably a nod to the, the anime show of Star Blazers than maybe um, the, the battleship from World War II. But there is a huge mistake in the episode because they call it... Um, in this episode, they refer to it as 1305-E, but in this season, just nine shows later, the Yamada will show up again, but it is 71807, and that's in um, uh, the episode Contagion. So they totally change uh, the, the uh, serial number of, of the ship, and I don't know why. Maybe we'll find out then. These motherfuckers. Yeah. Continuity. So we have a bunch of physical loops going on. The director has Worf open the door to look at himself opening the door where he can see himself opening right. the door. And uh, Riker's like, no. And then they go back to the Enterprise. Like it all happens over oh, the course I, I of love many that minutes. Whole sequence though. That is such a weird horror it's great. mirror, you know, fun, fun house mirror type of show. Like I think that's happening. It's so great. Totally. I, I love the execution and, and how it is done. I just think that why it is done is because they didn't really have a script. So they needed to get a minute and a half of this, and they got good actors doing a very difficult thing, which is to make this scene work. And it does. Like, it's just really well done. This scene is the only one that calls back to the teaser, though. Uh, this is because it's the two of them right. again. They're the in a weird again. alien place, and it's about their relationship. And it starts out with them being beamed to two separate locations and each mm-hmm. hearing each other scream, which makes them run to each other. And that is off putting immediately. And then they start going to be like, the architecture of this ship doesn't make any sense. It's just mm-hmm. basically made, you know, by the Nagilam's, you know, idea of what ships are and just putting it together or just building it as they walk around. And that's when you get two bridges. And that is the weirdest <laughs> moment where they open up that door and it's another bridge and it's the exact same set. 
And I'm feeling the and same thing breaks. that Riker and Worf are feeling break. when he's like, one bridge, one Riker. <laughs> ah, I'm going to open this door. Like, what is he trying to do? He's trying to open the door forcibly in order to do what exactly? I'm well, it's sure. that moment in No Exit where the brain stops working. Yes. Like, where right. you just absolutely have no idea what's going on. And the only thing you can think is punch. Right. You know? And then Riker dresses him down a little bit again, like he did in the holodeck. He's like, at ease, Lieutenant. And I love that Worf has lost it for a second and he gets, he gets composure and he says, as he's walking away, at ease, Lieutenant. Uh -huh. Like he's telling himself to be at ease. And I thought that was right. such a great moment. I don't know if it was even scripted, but it felt very much like a callback to uh, that, that teaser moment. And I loved it. Uh, and right before they went over to the Yamada, they bump into uh, our friend O'Brien. Right. Yeah. The transporter chief. Uh, and there is another bit of uh, uh, incontinuity in this Ooh. scene because Riker refers to O'Brien as lieutenant. Uh, but O'Brien is, in fact, not a lieutenant. And in later episodes, we actually find he's a he's the token enlisted person. In fact, the only enlisted person in all of Star Trek that we meet uh, and, you know, that's really played out in Deep Space Nine and sort of why we have the cartoon Lower Decks is so that we're like, well, there's a lot of other types of people uh, on these ships, not all of them, the highfalutin kings and queens uh, like in Days of Yore. So yeah. uh, that's a pretty big, you know, change up. And, and maybe they were just like, you know, we have enough officers. We need somebody who's not an officer and to, to show them. And so they just took we it away a, and like, we don't care. We need a full-fledged adult who Wesley can uh, order around if he wants to. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but I loved that. Like, Greg, I love the whole uh, sort of MC Escher thing of them running around. But uh, when we were talking earlier, what had... It popped in my mind was this uh Nagilam character if you know he's we we come to find out he's just testing them he's testing what humans will do and how they'll react to certain things and it it just is it's like a psychological question or psychology question if you are this omnipotent being who obviously has no idea or we're assuming he has no idea about humans and that's why he's doing this to test them how how do where's your reference point of how to test like how do you come up with oh maybe going in a loop will make them crazy or like what how does he jump to the conclusions of what will be uh um make them feel pressure or not um since he doesn't he's so far above it like these things are so far away from him with me i thought it was largely established that they had just they do this with everyone they come across, right? So that it's not just humans that they've done this with. Like they pro they would do this to Q if they get uh, a hold of him, you know. Ooh, they try so to. That would be fun, right? Yeah, that would be fun. Totally. Q and Nikila. <laughs> Ooh, we got a good one for you tonight. Who'd win in a fight, <laughs> Batman or Superman? Yeah. So uh, we're about to meet Nagilam, right? So uh, when the Enterprise gets sick of this little uh, game of tag that we play, we come to a full stop and uh, we meet a child with a, with a mud mask on, as, as Kate would say, who's uh, curious about humans and their limited existence. Oh, my goodness. 
So he's going to test uh, the limits of the human body, and how does he do that? Puppets Pulaski oh, around that's... like a rag doll. Oh, that's yes. freaking amazing. That was fun. <laughs> no, that was a bit of it nice is. physical work that yeah. she did there. Yeah. And it's well done. Like she, yeah. Her face stays like she's trying to find some sort of elegance <laughs> while she's being thrown against the wall. It's really a nice moment of embarrassing uh, uh, yeah. denying yeah. us from a full-on sex episode. And it's it's after that That's moment true. of a, a great uh, camera work too, where the Nagilam says each of them by name, mm-hmm. and the camera focuses on them. I love that. And then it goes to Pulaski and is like, "You're different. Uh, <laughs> what is that? Why to propagate our species?" And well, then he's got it. that great line. Yeah. What does she say again? She's it's n- it's not, not like, likely. Oh, or- I I need to see this. Can you please demonstrate how you propagate your species? And she says something like, "Not likely." Yeah. And so then he kills uh, Haskell. Well, I was going to say, what I noted was that he said, he he says the names and he says Haskell's name. And I was like, how come this entity gets to know this guy's name before we do? And then I realized, oh, they gave him a name so we feel bad. Yep. Literally the only reason. And so he would have something to put on his resume. It's very kind of them. Well, he got paid more, huh, Eric? Uh, no, that's the number of lines. Character. You don't even have to have a name for a character to get more. I think he they'll, had they'll five give lines. You a name for two lines and not pay anymore, but you'll have a name. <laughs> so we find out that he's gonna that Nagila is gonna kill a third to up to a half of the crew. Up I like to a half. He, up to a half. Right. And he's so cold about it. Oh, don't yeah. worry about it. Don't We're gonna learn it. a lot. Don't worry about it. Thank you. Just up to a half. It's cool. <laughs> no big deal. Uh, so, um, how does that work out for him? What's the immediate reaction when he leaves? Immediate. Destroy the fucking ship. <laughs> it's, oh, it, it wasn't immediate. We have the whole down. scene. Burn it down. We have the whole scene with, uh, data, uh, fake data and fake, right. uh, Troy. And fake Troy coming in and, and Making then when he decides very good points. Fake, Exactly. I'm like, <laughs> you are pretty reasonable here for, for the right. reaction to be, let's blow up the ship. Oh, and speaking of the destruction, that was, if we remember in, um, what was it? I have it written down. One, oh, one, one, zero, zero, one, zero, zero, one. Right. They uh, set the destruct sequence and it's automatic five minutes. No choice. Yeah, we can't change it. It's impossible. It's impossible. And in this one... They get to decide how long. And they the interval. even cut away to Picard going, interesting. Yeah. How long do you think? And the fan theory is that um, the the binaries actually improved that. They changed the self-destruct as part of their upgrade to uh, I love it. the Enterprise in that episode. Uh, and yeah. also, that was an episode where we saw the, the um, red alert. Mm-hmm. For the first time, and in this one, it was a brand new red alert. Mm-hmm. The binaries yeah. did good work. So, yeah. and then Riker's like, "What about twenty minutes? Just a good round yeah. number." Yeah, the conversation <laughs> about dying together is just incredible. It's well, how long do you think? Well, let him. I mean, we can do least... it with little pain, or we can give him enough time to figure it out. So, like twenty minutes. <laughs> Wait, what were you right. going to say, Kate? Just. Like half of a record. Like if they could just listen to half of an album, know, their favorite. Half. Yeah, I can't even do Violent Femmes, Violent Femmes in twenty minutes. Come on, Captain. I mean, you can if you play it a little fast. That's true. You're talking vinyl, right? So just but play then it right at forty-five. But it, again, I just 
Ah, we go straight to fucking burn it to the ground. Yep. If we can't have everybody, then burn it to the ground. We're not going to try to fight him. We're not going to try to find an alternate way. We're not going to bray against the dawning light. Listen, Kate, when Data and Wesley are like, I don't know. That's it. That's all you got. That's it. You don't have options. It's done. So, so what happens here is they, they you know, uh, lots of sound and fury, and uh, they end up uh, somehow convincing Nagilam that uh, losing all of his people is, is worse than, you know, anything else. And so he, he kind of just disappears. But it's not enough for Picard. What if he hasn't Christ on a cracker. Yeah, Picard. Did he did he watch every horror movie or every action movie ever, knowing that you have to get the countdown to under ten seconds in order to <laughs> make, otherwise it doesn't count? He walks in like there is a million years left in his life. Just strolls in to that uh, onto the bridge, and like, everyone in his life currently then has to scream, "Please don't let us die!" One at a time. And all together. <clears throat> and then he kind of says, okay, I mean, yeah, let's let's go ahead and stop it. And then Riker, what the fuck does Riker do, Greg? He says monologues. Right. <laughs> Unequivocally, I do concur wholeheartedly. Right. It's he just great, keeps going like the computer is great, not going like, to do anything too, until you stop. Did it's anybody count? set up for uh, Spike, though, right? He was volleying. Yeah. He was volleying <laughs> for uh, Picard's punchline. Yeah. Yeah. A simple no would have sufficed. I counted it down to you. I, I, I rewound it back a couple times. I count down. They die halfway through Riker's thing. Tins, no, they? it was actually time. I don't know if they timed it, but it was it That's was good. 10 seconds before Riker got it in. Perfect. I well, I like that. That exchange is something that I remembered for a long time. I remembered this whole episode, really, but then also just this, that, that, ending moment that's so climactic and feels weird but for some reason it lodged in my brain and I've, I've remembered it since seeing it when I was you know 11 I tell you I, I find this yes. episode to be really strange all the way through like we we are now pretty much at the end of the episode right, right. once yeah. they finally just go ahead and say hey let's go ahead and keep the ship from exploding um, wonder yeah, if this one, guy one final scene in, yeah. the, in the ready room right with Nagilam uh, who comes out of the uh, the small the computer like the fucking face in the box again? <laughs> What's the face in the box again? Like it's the exact same shtick. If he can do anything, why do why does he have to appear in a face in the box? Why can't right. he just be like in space or like be the know, in the room? Be the fish in his little tank or yeah. something. Yeah. Really, just experiment Ooh. with what this world is all about. Very Monty Python. I would love that. It is very Monty Python. Fishy, 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 fish. <laughs> well, I mean, like, <laughs> legit, we're done with the episode now. Like, we barely talked about plot. It's it's an episode that's full of effect and acting and all of that stuff, but it's very, very thin on plot. So at yeah. the end of this episode, before we rate it, right, um, what, what do you wish the plot would have dealt with. Like, I feel like there's not much here. Kate, what, was there something that you feel like they could have brought in to make it less of a bottle episode so that it matters yeah, to the rest of the series? Well, somehow? yeah. I, I mean, part of it is that, that weird ending, right? Where mm-hmm. like all of a sudden they're out of the star field 
for no reason, right? Mm-hmm. Like their bluff has worked or it wasn't their bluff. He's not bluffing. Like, but the, the, the gambit, like the we're going to take our shit worked. and go home. Um, and then I don't know. I, I, maybe I wanted the payoff to be that he was right to pause the, you know, that like, then they go, Oh, you almost got us. You're right. It's Nagila. Oh, <laughs> my bad. You're totally. worthy. Like, there's just like, there's no, at the end of the day, it's sound and fury signifying nothing. I like that. Right back to some Shakespeare. Yeah. What do you think, Jimmy? Is there anything that you would have added to this plot to make it seem like there's more there there? Yeah, I think I would have tried to juxtapose it to Q uh, yeah. to see, like, these are two omnipotent beings. I love toying, you know, just pawing humanity like a cat. And... Uh, maybe coming up with something a little different um, or at least the crew being like, we've been here. Right. We've seen this not only from Q, but from, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a little light ball who uh, <laughs> impregnated one of our people uh, like this. This is anything new that you're doing. Yeah. A reference um, to how many yeah, high powerful. A, a challenge in that 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 way. of yeah. We've been here before and right. we've won every one of them. What are you bringing that's any different? How are you going to sure. do this? Or, you know, I don't know if it has to be so. Uh, Just you know, something along those lines. In your face, I like but that. it would have been fun to at least acknowledge their history. Sure. What What were your thoughts, Greg? You said you remembered this episode really well. What, was there anything that you found yourself expecting that didn't show up? Uh, no, uh, not 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 like in that way. I do, as I'm thinking about it now, there is no B plots or C plots like there are common in most of these episodes. It is pretty much just the one thing going forward. Yeah. Um, but I appreciated that because it is all about the mood and the atmosphere that the whole mm-hmm. episode is trying to like. We don't meet Nagilam until you know uh, more than two thirds of the way through the episode. So, um, and the other thing I wanted to kind of kind of talk about was that you all, when we were describing Nagilam, think of him as a villain. Um, I, I don't, I kind of just think of him as, as almost like man against nature. Like there, there, because he is that godlike being, he doesn't really think of it in a malicious way. He's not doing anything, uh, to hurt anyone on purpose, even though he does want to do this experiments, he's just trying to learn things. And I never, for some reason, I don't really in- interpret it this as an antagonist. Even I just think of it as something that is occurring that, and, uh, that the, the, uh, the the crew needs to contend against. So I guess that is exactly what an antagonist is. Did so we just about- did we just learn that Greg is a psychopath? I think we did. <laughs> is this the <laughs> moment? I, in this Quick. context, it does feel like they're they're Edna out of the house. <laughs> the ends justify the means. Survive. Everybody, come on! How hard is that to just get along with? I mean, because because he's at a totally different frame of of consciousness than everyone else is. So to him, it's not. He's just trying to learn like a rat like the like the metaphor that's in here was like a rat in a maze are we psychopaths the people the scientists that experiment on rats yes. to learn with them okay Maybe. yes i guess we are that's true <laughs> Never mind. I, All right, but since we're there greg how 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 would you rate this episode since since uh I, I i guess i tend to like it i think i'm putting this in the uh the eight or nine category for me because i, I will say it's uh what? It's nine face masks um, of, uh, uh, you know, to soften our skin um, because I, I dig it. Yeah, it, it's it, to me, it feels like a, a departure from um, all of the different kind of subgenres that the sci fi show has has touched on before. And this is a straight up thriller like it is. It is a 
uh, mood and atmosphere. And I felt uncon- uh, unconsciously weird throughout all of these scenes. And then when you get the payoff with the Nagilam introduction, most of the th- the suspense has gone away. And then it just becomes this kind of almost thinking uh, philosophy um, type of episode uh, and makes me think about the nature of existence and, you know, what would it mean if, you know, we, we've often, I've been talking with my kids a lot about like, we're mostly microbes in, in our bodies. And are we gods to those things inside of us? I don't know. And I, I feel am. like the Nagilam human relationship is very similar uh, in, in, in how we frame it. And it's, it's one of those kind of almost meta acid trip type of things, uh, which is why the excellent scene, which we didn't talk about too much about when Data and Troy come in and ask uh, uh, Picard, what is death? Uh, is a great scene in Star Trek Acid Party. Yeah. And that's what this episode kind of reminds <laughs> me of. I just watched Pink Floyd The Wall recently. Um, and so this this episode kind of gets me in that same frame of mind With of like, Catherine let's. Pulaski. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 smoke a, a huge bong hit and take some acid and think about the nature of existence. And that's what I do when I think about this episode. I love that idea. Jimmy, uh, why don't you rate <laughs> this episode and tell us what you got going? Uh, I would rate this episode a solid fantastic five pokemons Ooh. uh and only because you know it's right after um the child and it's just too similar so it, it's just a bit I, I don't care why if it was a writer strike i don't care what their problems were you can sing that to somebody else you should have put this episode later in the season because it was just way too close to uh, a very similar episode and i mean we can't even we don't even have time to go into the whole super conscious can treat you however you want because they're on a different level bullshit i mean that's just you know if you can speak to each other and you understand each other's language you're not on a different consciousness you're the same place and you can understand you know that smushing an ant isn't the same thing as smushing a human because we can't communicate if an ant could talk it would be you know, a very different thing. Um, so it, it's, you know, you can't wave it away with, oh, they're, they're different. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> he was having full on conversations with them. So he didn't have a face. It was just, it's just murder. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, that's all. It's just murder. <laughs> Regular old. Which is also a, a, one of the worst murder. crimes ever out there and also illegal. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, it's too late. Like we don't believe that you that you think any of this is right. You're wrong. you're a psychopath. You're yeah. what you say means nothing right now. <laughs> we'll try again next week. Kate, what do you what do you think about rating this particular? Uh, uh, I'm gonna give this uh, like Jimmy. I'm gonna give it five space voids um, because I think I think it does suffer from being so close to a similar episode in terms of testing out and, and sort of and I think that this doesn't succeed on the same levels as the child um, as a bottle episode like the child even though it was sort of a bottle episode in and of, its, of itself like the mm-hmm. the things that happened we had character growth and we learned more about them and there was you know sort of a trajectory towards like, oh, this is where this character is heading versus this one where I felt like it was taking the characters and being like, but what if they just did something dumb? (laughs) (laughs) Just like, I I just don't think it fits with the characters that we've been learning about. Um, And yeah, I, uh, I kept comparing it in my brain 
to what I think is the best horror movie of all time, which is Aliens, the second Alien movie. Mm-hmm. Um uh, which is not normally, you know, like it's it's sci-fi horror. But what I love about it is you don't see the alien for like three quarters of the movie. And all you hear is sound. It's all mm-hmm. sound. It's all like the beacon sound, right? The beep, beep, beep as they're like trying to figure out where. And and there's just, you know, like until we m- meet Nagila, we had the potential for this really interesting sci-fi horror like that which we don't know and that which we don't see and the moment Nikila came on screen I was like I'm out totally. <laughs> so I think yeah I think better left unseen would have would have made uh, for, for a better experience but yeah I, I give it a solid five well I give it closer to somewhere in between y'all I, I'm, I'm not on the five and I'm not quite to the nine but I do really really like this so I'm going to give it a seven uh, uh, glow-in-the-dark Skeletor heads, uh, <laughs> which don't even get used right because it's not even dark. That thing was so clearly going to shine if you turned the lights off, and it, they didn't even turn the lights off, so we get to see it. Um, so I, I really enjoy this episode, but all it did the whole time I was watching it is make me think of the episode coming up in a couple seasons where they're doing the play, the horror play in the... Uh, uh, what do you call it? The asylum. Hmm. And then it goes kind of into reality and data and Riker get all fucked up with that. And that's, I think the, the best horror uh, next generation episode. And this really just got me excited for that. I love the music. I love the performances and I can't stand this script much at all for mostly the same reasons that Kate is saying. Um, I had a ball rewatching it. I love talking about uh, uh, the the work that Nagilam has done in the rest of his career, and uh, the uh, the kind of gorgeous, weird moments that that stuck with me throughout. Uh, but I'll watch this one again just because I enjoy the thriller aspects of it, and so that's where I come down on it. It's a damned ugly nothing. or or when they called jordy down in uh engineering they're like um just checking here uh jordy (laughs) are the engines working (laughs) yeah and and he like looks under something is like i mean yeah they're i think it's all working (laughs) the crystals are are crystalline if nothing else this episode does have Riker freaking out uh he is definitely not okay after coming back from the Yamato. No. Game over, man. Picard (laughs) likes it a little bit. Picard is like, ooh, something got in, uh, got got Riker there. I wrote that down too when he blows up and Picard's like, like he has a little smirk. I was like, I couldn't tell if it was a smirk, like he enjoyed the blow up, like it was Picard as an actor or what, or like I had no idea really what was going through Patrick Stewart's head there because he had this little smirk like mm, that wasn't in the script. But yeah, it was enjoyable. Very delicious moment, wasn't it? It actually kind of so looks like clear here. Like Haskell's dead, right? He's just gone. He's dead. Oh, he's dead. Yeah, yeah he's dead. Yeah. Um, that that was something that nobody really talked about once it happened. Who he's who dead. picked him up and moved him? Do you think no. when the when the camera left? Listen, do they buddy, bring in lost, somebody else? They have interns for that. <laughs> we lost a we lost a good friend of ours, and we didn't even bring it up. You're, you're nothing. Who yeah. is at his hillside holodeck memorial? <laughs> Data. That's, that's Data, Data's there too. <laughs> He's at all of them. Yeah. <laughs> what is death? Ugh. He asks it every single one. Why is this guy's pants wet? So wet. 
Thanks for joining our Cultural Bridge Officers for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing the mission with another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. We want to hear from our listeners. If you've got questions or observations, hailing frequencies are open. You can email letsreengage at gmail.com or if you're more social media minded, follow Reengage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun. Eric Grattan emails the best way to ask him a question. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Instagram. Jimmy G is Jimmy at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Greg Tito is Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Reengage is edited and mixed by Krista Curry, Krista from Glee on Twitter, and Krista.curry on Instagram. Logo artwork by MojoJojo97 on Twitter, or you can find her at Mojo97.com. And our theme music is by the incomparable Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for Riker's Beard to Reengage. <laughs>